Calvin Brodus Jr. was born in Long Beach in 1971. He was named after his stepfather, but the name never really stuck. Instead, friends and family started calling him by the name of his favourite cartoon character, who his mother thought he resembled. At age six, he was performing in the church choir, and by grade six, he was rapping in school hallways, freestyling, and attracting crowds so big that teachers thought there were fights happening. Life was troubled. Brodus was in and out of jail after high school, but his love for rapping never diminished. In fact, with his two cousins, who went by the name of Nate Dog and Lil Half Dead, and his friend Warren G., they recorded homemade mixtapes, and as fate would have it, one of these tapes landed in the hands of Dr. Dre. He immediately called Brodus to an audition. Partnering with Dr. Dre and featuring on his hit album The Chronic made Brodus one of the hottest properties in music, and he hadn't even released a project yet. The world was ready to see what he would do on his own, and in 1993, he would release his debut album. As he would later go on to say, Nine Trize was the yizier for him to fuck up shit. On November 23rd, 1993, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, selling over 800,000 copies in its first week and becoming the fastest selling hip hop release ever. It was certified four times platinum in the US and has sold over 11 million copies worldwide, firmly established as one of the most important rap albums ever produced. Which is kind of shocking that it wasn't even the most successful album released that day. Ace of Bases' The Sign also came out on November 23rd, 1993, and is one of the best-selling albums of all time, selling over 21 million copies and picking up a Grammy nomination for Best Pop Album along the way. How do these two albums stizak up against each other? Why did Snoop Dogg do his hair like Shirley Temple? Why do Ace of Base have some real Nazi vibes coming off them? And how many orgies has our guest been in? We're going to find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Albums Collide podcast. Jod Boaz with you, also joined by my co-host Pedro Duran. Pedro, how are things? Good, Jod. I am good. Uh, no complaints. Sunny day and uh, feeling great. How about you, man? No, I'm feeling great because these albums that were both released November 23rd, 1993, uh, very exciting. We both liked these albums, I think, Pedro, but we needed a, an expert opinion to get in. Right. And one of the albums, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, a, a cornerstone of the West Coast of America. So we brought someone in who is from the West Coast of America, Mr. Scott Robinson. Scott, how are things? How are you all doing? Yeah, the, things are well. Things are well. Yeah, right right off the bat, um, what are your thoughts and feelings about Snoop Dogg? And what are your thoughts and feelings about Ace of Base? Oh my god. So those are those are real deep. That's a real deep question. <laughs> uh, I'm actually gonna like if I'm gonna genuinely answer that, let me start with Ace of Base. Ace of Base, you know, my what are my what are my thoughts and feelings regard to them? They are nothing but like a name that is attached to the album that's called The Sign. Uh, which I reckon actually had like a different name elsewhere, but like, you know, the sign, you know, they're, they're like encoded into, I guess, like my, my, the DNA of my youth. Right. I, I reckon like, you know, they representative of like an era, you know, the sense, the singing, the lyrics that vaguely don't make sense, you know, base of base is great. That all said, that said, <laughs> Snoop Dogg is like, I can't, even, I can't imagine 
where my life would be without Snoop Dogg. I, I have, obviously I've never met the man and, you know, he's, you know, he, he's weird, but he represents, like, he not only represents like, you know, major like parts of my life, he's been there for it. Uh, and in particular, Doggy Style, the album, that specific album has been there for like major parts of my life. But also like, like we're both from, I, I'm from the West Coast, but not only am I from the West Coast, like I'm from Compton. Snoop Dogg has has you know does have a connection to where I grew up, and more importantly, like you know, sort of like Death Row, No Limit, and just really like that whole sort of like West Coast rap uh, has a real strong connection to uh, one of the cities, which is Compton, where I grew up. So, and also he's just far more interesting. You know, he's gone through like who, who knows <laughs> who knows who knows where where all the band members. I'm sure all the members of Ace of Base have gone on to live like successful lives or whatever. You know, like Abba did or whatever. But like Snoop Dogg is like. He's a character. Like he's 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 like a he's a protagonist in in the story that is that is humanity, you know. So so how I feel about Snoop Dogg depends like which decade are we talking which Snoop Dogg are we talking about? I mean, uh but before uh, we can dive all into that, Pedro, did you have anything to add your your thoughts, feelings about did you know who Ace of Base were? Did you know who Snoop Dogg was before this episode? Yeah, I mean, in regards to Ace of Base, yeah, I mean, I've heard there's songs, particularly um, the sign, um, like a million fucking times growing up, you know, as a '90s kid, and I actually have that song on my uh, like my personal playlist. Is it your Get Freaky playlist? Oh no, it's just <laughs> no. It's I do have a Get Freaky playlist, but that is an entirely different catalog of music and um, doesn't involve any Swedish artists at all. Um, <laughs> like not even funny. ABBA. No, oh no, not 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 any Swedish artists at all. Maybe maybe. Uh, maybe crazy frog just to make things a little bit nutty but but i didn't even know they were swedish for a long time if anything i thought they were canadian until listening to the the album this week and i found out that um you know doing um research and reading up about them finding out that there was more songs that i actually like coming out of them than the sign i was gonna ask yeah i was gonna ask after having like listened to it did you come out of it feeling like the sign maybe wasn't even the strongest track uh, yes. I think there is another song that w- it's definitely been stuck in my head all week. Cause I listened to this album like maybe four times this week, trying to like, you know, really, um, ingest it. And the sign is good. It's very poppy, but there is another, uh, there's another track on this album that is better, but it also is a cover. Spoiler. He was fucking singing it on mic before you entered the call. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about Snoop Dogg? I mean, as far as Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, I, I think I, I agree with, with, with Scott. Like he, Snoop Dogg has been omnipresent in my life for um, for as long as I can remember, whether it be Snoop Doggy Dog, whether it be when he went down south, when he joined No Limit. We did an uh, episode about Master P um, a couple of weeks back. Snoop Dogg uh, recorded an album with Master P. Uh, the game is to be sold, not to be told. And that's when he reinvented Woo! himself and tried to get away from the Death Row Records era. And then he goes on and goes into the acting thing. He was in movies like Bones, which I've seen. I, I love. Um, one of my favorite Snoop Dogg roles is The Wash. It's a it's like a hood movie, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. It's a very odd couple kind of thing. I mean, this dude is in the movie Training Day. He has a, a scene-stealing performance performance as a, a handicapped drug dealer uh, up against uh, Denzel Washington and um, oh what's the other fucking guy's name I can't think about it now Ethan Hawke Ethan Hawke yeah fuck man you know I don't work for nobody I'm on disability man That's shit bullshit and you cracking and you know it I don't sell that shit no more you know that but I found oh. this 
Oh, no, you don't. Man, that ain't mine, man. That motherfucker planted that shit on me, man. Put me in the front seat with him, and I bet I'll whoop his ass. Uh, continues on with music. He did. He hooked up with Pharrell and the Neptunes, and that's when he's like the R and mm-hmm. rhythm and gangster era. I don't know if any of you guys know, or if any of the listeners know, there was a time where he had um, a short-lived talk show on YouTube called the GNN, which I think is fantastic. If anyone I had forgotten about, I that. am very yes. aware of it. I remember it very clearly. Yeah. Yes, it is, awesome. and it's just him sitting behind a panel smoking copious amounts of marijuana. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's so and famous good. people sort of walk in and out. Yeah, yeah it is nuts. Like it's just him with a blue screen. He's smoking weed of course but like tremendous amounts of weed and he has like that it's was almost like, like sometimes you figure he like too, trick right? people to get on the show you know what i mean because people are just like what what are we doing he's like yeah let's talk about your movie and then he would just like talks they just talk shit and they just get high on 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 camera uh snoop lion when he did the reggae thing and then as far as i mean now i see him all the time whenever i'm on youtube and he's um telling me to uh sign up for the app menu log so i can order my food next time yes he so. does he does that a lot doesn't he yeah, exactly so but I, I love snoop i'm all in for this i don't know if it's my algorithm or something but this album was not the first search result when i looked up doggy style it's kind of weird <laughs> really? right like what this is what this is one of the best-selling hip-hop albums of all time it's just weird that something else would be in the search result right like why wouldn't it be the album yeah um but we don't need to go into that you know it's funny because <laughs> snoop dogg has been successful almost as like a proto meme Longer than he's been a rapper. Like, ask anyone over the age of 50 to name a rapper. Oh, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Doggy Dogg. It's hard to separate his actual artistic career from his meme career. In particular, his artistic career when he still gave a shit. You know, he Mm. teamed up with, as you mentioned, Pharrell, Drop It Like It's Hot, JT for Signs, Bow Wow with uh, Lil Bow Wow, Holiday Inn with Chingy Buttons Mm. with the Pussycat Dolls, California Girls with, with Katy Perry. He's been a sidekick or a feature for so long, and that's approximately 583 features in his career so far to date. You forget what an actual fucking weapon this guy is when he's on a track like by himself or as the main main event. On the flip side, Ace of Base were incredibly big. It's easy to forget because they disappeared so quickly. But The Sign was the best-selling album of 1994, selling over 21 million copies. Uh, by 2002, they'd sold over 30 million copies of their first four albums, making them the third most successful Swedish group uh, behind ABBA and Roxette. Uh, and it's actually three siblings, Jonas, Lynn, and Jenny Bergen, uh, and they're all they're all on the tracks with their childhood friend Ulf Ekberg, and the four of them, you've got a brunette and a blonde, it's very close to ABBA and two dudes, yeah. uh, and they're doing all the tracks. Following the huge success of this album, The Sign, they were offered a chance to play Madison Square Garden, they had deals with Pepsi and Reebok, but after two years, they were so burnt out from the fame, they actually didn't want to be famous anymore and fly around the world and be rich and famous, so they declined and just went home, back to Sweden. With all that said, there's only one way to compare it, and that's to go track by track. Are you guys ready? Yes. Oh, God, yes. Go, go. Let's start off the sign All That She Wants with one of the most iconic little trumpet toots of all time, that... 
It's a song about a, a serial data where she's looking for her next baby. She's looking for her next, you know, boo or something. Hell of a song to open things up with. They always start at strong, these pop albums from the 90s. What did you guys think? Oh, what an incredible track. I was actually, like, re-listening to it. Like, I just straight up had that on, re- on repeat. Before I had ever actually, like, listened to The Sign, I thought that was the strongest track. The Sign is like, all right, but all that she wants, like, it speaks to you. It's got the bridge in it. Obviously, the trumpet. <laughs> but all that she wants is, like, as, as a kid, it certainly was able, I was able to, like, identify, you know, like, of all sort of, like, the vague Swedish, like, you know, the Swedish English, like, tracks and, like, lyrics. That's the one that's, like, you know what's up. You know that it's got, like, kind of this dangerous edge to it. Like, it always, it always just felt... It felt like the most real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's an awesome song. Like it, it's super catchy. Um, it's a it's a great way to start the album. Um, it's been stuck in my head all week. And this is one of the songs I remember just growing up listening, hearing all the time. And and, and you're right, Scott. I thought the sign. I mean, I think yeah, the sign is their number one. Um, but I think if you put this on, you know, it's Ace of Base and you know exactly who they are and, and all these things. This is just as synonymous with that group as much as as the sign um i think it went like number one in 13 yeah it went number one in 13 countries you know top 40 song in the u.s um and when listening to it with, with the uh i guess the story or the the theme behind it about this girl who i mean she 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 gets up and uh she's just out for a, a dude and she's a manhunter yeah man, well man eater and that's exactly i song man eater you know like shout out to nelly Furtado. yeah i was just like wow that's that's so that's so crazy so it was it's funny probably get into it but like i said in the top i didn't realize they were swedish and uh and then um i'm starting listening to these lyrics and i can always tell when english songs or songs written in english are not written by english native totally. artists totally. yeah because i love when in the lyrics she she goes um she opened up her eyes and thought oh what a morning it's not a day for work it's a day for catching tan like catching, like, <laughs> no, catching sun catching sun yeah is it catching sun <laughs> In the lyrics, in the song, she says catching tan, but it's just like, no one, no <laughs> really? one says that, catching tan. Like, we get it, but um, yeah, no one says, like, uh, it puts it in that way. <laughs> like, I assume Completely. they Google Translate or their uh, limited English and to uh, create this uh, this hit. The way the Swedish people make the music is incredibly successful. That's why they're so good at it. But it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to create all these pop bangers. Let's start it with the number one pop track we've got with this huge single let's start off the album with that a little bit different on doggy style where there's a lot of skits in this album a lot of interludes so it starts off with snoop d-o-double-g in a bathtub it's called bathtub all these tracks are produced by dr dre by the way first of all before we even dive in how do we feel about sharing bathtubs with someone else like being in a bathtub soaking in your own filth is bad enough but soaking in someone else's filth uh I'm not into it. Pedro, you go, you go. I got. Oh, I, I was just gonna say it all depends on the activity that's happening. You know what I mean? If it's, I guess, if it's supposed to be like a sexual thing, what I think they're implying in in the skit, then I think it's okay. But if you, um, if you're just sitting in a bathtub, just having a chat with somebody, that's a, uh, that's uh, uh, that's a, that's a super gross. There, Pedro, I was like with you for like most of my life. Not gonna lie. 
because bathtubs are gross. Like showers where it's at. Like let's be real. Like it's yeah. you know, it's more environmentally friendly. It's more environmentally friendly. It's clear. It's a faster thing. You know, it's just it's fucking it's, showers are just better in so many fucking different regards. But um, maybe like five, six years back or something like that, um, I was like, long story short, I ended up in this like threesome. Uh, well, okay, actually, it was like the, the threesome that like paired off from like the orgy that I was at. But anyway, we're all in this like bathtub, hanging out and chatting. And I got to say, it was like a great conversation. It was a great like couple hours hanging out in the bathroom. And it really changed my mind on like bathtubs. Yeah. Even more, even, even more to that, even more to that is like, you know, fast forward a few more years. And, um, I was like dating this, this woman and she was like super pro, really pro bathtub so much so that like, I had to like, make sure that like the next flat that I moved into, like had a bathtub for her. Like we would, we would go traveling and like, would like, you know, look for hotel rooms. And if they didn't have like a bathroom, it was just like a hard no for her. She is, she is staunchly pro bathtub. I love that. So pro bathtub. So pro bathtub. And, uh, and we would like, you know, honestly, I came around to it. Like, you know, it's, it's not like, you definitely got to like, I think you got to like wash before you get into the bathtub. I think Mm. that like, you know, get clean, kind of like the Japanese style, right? Where you get clean and then you soak in the bathtub. Then you hang out mm. in the bathtub and you can like, you know, it's, it's just like that steamy environment, you know, I, I've, I've come <laughs> around, I've really, I've really come around the bathtubs. I feel like as, a, as a general rule, they're completely misused. Bathtubs are misused. You got to get clean first. I mean, I, while, while we were talking about that, I just wanted to like double check the lyrics to bathtub. So I Googled bathtub doggy style and <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I was fucking, I don't know what I was fucking thinking. Cause obviously yeah. it's like, what's going to come up with. Right. Lyrics. Um, yeah. I put genius but, after that. Yeah. Genius. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to compare, right. I wanted to compare <laughs> all that she wants. It's like very like, you know, on the surface level, but in 1993, as a young person listening to this, the first time you put on this record, the first track is Snoop Dogg getting it on, getting freaky with some chick in a bathtub, scandalized. I was scandalized. You know, this is like, it was, they're having sex? He's, he's recording himself having sex? Like, it, that's the sort of vibe you get. So immediately you get a flavor of what this is going to be. It's a hell of an intro. It sets the scene. I feel like it's a little unfair. Like, it's definitely the first track of the album. Right. It's the way that right. this album opens is genius, but I feel like it's a little unfair to say it's like the first when you think of like first track, it's not the first song. But one of the things I love about Doggy Style, one of the things I love about like a lot of hip hop like albums of that time, I mean, even to this day. Right. But like hip hop albums in general, they have skits and like the oh, there's like a story arc. There's like a whole like you get like cuts and insights in these people's lives. You get like voicemails or whatever. And I love that like Snoop doesn't just like take you into like like, you know, you hear some hear some like shit talk between two rappers or some beef go down or like somebody talking about like his like i feel like the the skits on this album bring you into his life like really give you these really kind of intimate uh insights into obviously you know like i say his life i mean like you know the the character that is snoop dogg circa 1990 i can't remember it's so visceral in that regard you like are brought into this it's like you know later on like you're in a you're like in the fucking you're in the bathroom right he's taking a piss you know like it's all (laughs) it's all really it's all real visceral i do want to say like this this like every word of this sketch is, is like written into my heart but i've always been like that part where he's like he gets out of the bathtub he doesn't you ever really hear him get out of the bathtub but it's like he gets up 
and it's like two steps to the door and then his, <laughs> yeah. his homies his homies are just like what's up snoop dog and then like i think it's like warren g <laughs> whose album also is like written into my heart like warren g like busts in with all like the whole crew there's like a whole bunch of people they all just like barge in. What's up, G Dog? Oh, trying to live between the sky and the The woman's just gone. I just love, like, I love how this sketch is like, yo, man, he goes from just like getting clean with his, I guess his bitch. He can definitely, of that time, it's uh, just bitches and hoes. And um, <laughs> and just immediately it's like, cool, gonna let's smoke some weed, let's party, you know? Like, it's true because like he does paint the picture in, in a lot of ways like and Pedro knows I've discussed before how much I usually fucking hate skits like I right. hate skits so because they're just album fill like oh fuck we gotta feel like two minutes man to like get get point but but like Snoop at least does something he takes you into the world of Long Beach California a little bit more than most like sketches you know not my favorite skits <laughs> but I understand what he's painting and you're right Scott in that he isn't he isn't painting the life of the actual life of Calvin Brodus Jr. He's painting the life of Snoop Dogg this like mythical creature that yes. exists on the on the west coast right? Yeah. And, and I wanted to say uh, to to um to compound on, on Scott's point he's bringing you into uh, his world and, and you're right Jed he's bringing you to the world of Snoop Doggy Dog because this whole skit is an homage to uh, Superfly, which is a 1972 film, uh, black exploitation film uh, directed by Gordon Parks Jr., starring Ron O'Neill. And the soundtrack is probably more famous in the film because um, the soundtrack is uh, produced by Curtis Mayfield, who heavily uh, influenced Snoop in his music, Dr. Dre, uh, Ice T. So the the great thing about this album is that influences of that, the black exploitation theme, or like G Funk, this is the stuff that influenced them when they were young and now there's you know and they're spinning it out in um in 1993 in a form of uh, uh gangster rap and putting it all out there well i mean you hit it right there with g-funk the next song g-funk intro or gangster funk basically the heavy use of samples from like funk bands parliament funkadelic george clinton's fingerprints yeah yes. all all over all over this um, and that's by way of Dr. Dre, who, you know, signature sound, almost instantly recognizable. That combination of like the synths and the bass, it immediately makes me think of California. Like when you hit it, like whether it's Tupac or, you know, uh, doggy style, whatever, whatever. Um, and I believe Dr. Dre, he doesn't just sample, he gets like musicians to re-record the original song. So you get, he has a bit more control over the way it sounds. Uh, and it's still going today. Like for modern examples, you can look up Kendrick Lamar or YG. They're all, you know, obviously Compton born and bred and they're still doing G-Funk. What do you think about that sound, the G-Funk sound? Honestly, amazing. I mean, come on. It's like, look, look Dr. Dre is, he's one of the producers that isn't just, he isn't just iconic in himself. Obviously he is, but his, like the sound, the sounds plural that he's created. Cause like, you know, G-Funk is really only like one right obviously there was like a time and a scene and like a, a thing around that from like that sort of like 90s west coast flavor that like that they you know i would say in particular this album and the chronic i feel like this album and the chronic are kind of like i mean they're almost i don't want to say they're the same album because i prefer doggy style but they are you know if you listen to the chronic and then you listen to doggy style you're several times you're going to be like wait haven't i heard this song 
you know, like they, mm. there are, there is lyrics that are like, that are, that are, that are reused or put a spin on or remix. There's, you know, he, I honestly, I think he takes some of like, he takes some of the samples and some of the melodies, even some of like the tracks he's done and like puts a better spin on them. Like I, I much prefer this album, mm. but this, the sound became, you know, not just sort of like emblematic of an era, but it's like it, it, the sound in itself is iconic. And it is, it's like in the same way of, of like specifying any, any other sort of like sound of some particular moment, like, oh yeah, you know, like I really love like, you know, like 80s, like 80s, like, you know, synth wave, you know, thing like, just like, yeah, like I know exactly what you're talking about. When you say G-Funk, you know, you know immediately what the sound is. If, if you've like listened to, you know, to the sort of music at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is crazy when you, when you think of Gene Funk, there's so many things synonymous to it. You think of automatically Dr. Dre as the originator, but you think of the West Coast, California, well, particularly Southern uh, uh, California, Los Angeles, maybe bits of San Diego, um, and the culture that's around that, whether, and like the urban culture, like lowriders, fitted hats, uh, old school Oakland Raiders jerseys, and you still wear all of that, Pedro. Yes, <laughs> every day. Because <laughs> it's fly. Pimp <laughs> canes, like yes, exactly. So um, no, I just think it like it, it's it's crazy how he was able to take that and um, really solidify it as the sound of uh, an era and the sound of a coast. I really want to say one thing, one thing about this track, and this is actually one of the things I really love about this album and this track is that, like, you know, like at the time, like I was basically a kid, and even I knew at the time, everybody was like, just rabid for like a Snoop Dogg album, right? Like Snoop Dogg, like it was like, okay, he's his album's coming out. This is what everybody was just waiting for, right? Like he did guess, he did guess on the Chronic. And you, everyone knew he was hot, right? Like he was, he was young, he was upcoming, and it was like, oh my god, he's finally dropping his album, right? And what I love, especially love about this album, is Snoop coming onto the album is like held back, like the, yeah. the opening skit. The opening, the opening skit comes in, and it's like, oh yeah, Snoop's there, but he's not like he's not dropping rhymes, not doing anything. It's like the skit setting up the thing, and then like the buildup, like even the buildup from, from, from the, uh, from the opening track, like there's that string underneath. that's like building up the whole time. It's like, Da-na. would you say that Snoop Dogg is edging you uh, in the first <laughs> couple tracks of the album? Say, this track comes in George Clinton, like is, is, is he sampled or was this actually recording? No, that's know, him. He, like, he, he brought him back. That's him. And then you just when you expect Snoop Dogg to just like launch on it, it's not Snoop Dogg. It's the lady of rage. in my opinion strongest part of the actual track is just the lady of rage just just burning everything down from the very first second like it she's incredible you're just like fuck where even is snoop dogg on this album is he guesting on his own album <laughs> but it's like so good that you don't even give you know you don't care at all let's quickly jump back to the good land of sweden uh, where Ace of Base decided on this debut US effort, as you mentioned earlier, Scott, you were correct, they originally released this album under the title Happy Nation in Europe, but for their big US debut, they chose The Sign as the lead single, and we're going to call it The Sign, and we're going to re-release it in the US, and why don't we cover a US song to really sell it to those yanks over there? This is the next song, Don't Turn Around, a cover of a B-side originally recorded by Tina Turner and penned by Albert Hammond Sr., who is a big-time songwriter 
Ryder and his son, Albert Hammond Jr., is in The Strokes. Um, so it's a really incestuous music industry, obviously. <laughs> the vocals here aren't as powerful as the original because you don't have fucking Tina Turner yeah. on the track. <laughs> But it is very dancey and very fun. I don't know how I feel about your debut album, This Is The First Impression, and you're covering a song as your second track. Don't know how I feel about that. Does anybody even know, though? Well, Snoop does his own, a lot of copying in this album, too. So let's let's not let's not point fingers anywhere. But what did you think of Don't Turn Around, Pedro? Ace of Bass's version is definitely the catchiest and the poppiest, but... I think Tina Turner beats them out. Like if you, if anyone gets a chance, just it's on YouTube. You can just look it up. It's a lot more powerful, a lot more epic. I mean, everything, the lyrics are all the same and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was good. It's catchy. It's, it does exactly what it's meant to do. I, I think they just, they say, Hey, we're going to take a song that's already a, a, a hit, a song that people are familiar with. And we're going to add our flavor to it, which is somewhat this, euro reggae type of feel to it because listening to it i was just like oh yeah those drums kind of have kind of that um island reggae type of feel to it um and they just were able to incorporate that into this track i, I particularly was fond of um and i'm going to mess up this this guy's name uh, his name is it oof Eckberg, the guy who's not related to the rest of the band. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Ulf yeah. Eckberg. Ulf, sorry, Ulf? I'm not Swedish. Yeah. So, um, Ulf Eckberg. I love his little rap segment because I felt like yes, <laughs> I wanted to talk like about any that, yes. pop song, like in the '90s, had to have like a really corny rap segment into it. And I first thing that comes to mind, probably the more famous ones, is like Michael Jackson's Black and White where they have that little rap segment. In the music video, it's Macaulay Cul Culkin actually doing it, but, it, but it's like some grown-ass man doing it. Protection for gangs, clubs, and nations Causing grief in human relations It's a turf war on a global scale I'd rather hear both sides of the cells. So I just thought that was a, a funny trend to uh, uh, to have there. For the 90s, yeah, we're like, it was a rash of it. Every 90s song has to have a random rap interlude. You know, like, I... Uh, I, I could go on on this for a while. I really love random rap interludes. It's the 90s, and so obviously rap interludes may be a little bit dated. Not that they don't happen these days. Hell, I mentioned earlier, California Girls, Katy Perry, had a rap interlude with Snoop Dogg. In fact, I would say Snoop Dogg is the go-to person for a rap interlude these days, because mm. he's such a meme, right? Yeah. The next song, we're talking about dated, Young and Proud, which, by the way, is definitely the slogan of some fucking, like, separatist movement in Albania or something, <laughs> Young and Proud. But are we going to talk about the white supremacy thing? Yes, of Young course, we have to. Young and Proud, this song is fucking great. Like, the, I know the production's super dated, and, like, the beeps and the boops, very 90s, but the composition is so great, because they just know when to punch you right between the right between the legs with a big chorus, man. They really hit you with these big choruses. I really liked so it. Good. So good. <laughs> so, look, honestly, it's funny that you've responded so strongly to this track. I actually felt that this was, like, the first filler track. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> like, and, and don't misunderstand me, because I actually, like, 
I, it's funny, I realized that years ago I had like done post, basically post downloads, you know, like they, when you realize like, oh, I could just go and like listen to the full albums of all these like tracks that like shaped my like shaped my life. I'm definitely from like pre-internet generation. And I remember my first MP3, right? And uh, and then go back and like fill in all the blanks. And I, you know, I remember the, the whole like listening to the sign again and being like, this album is so good. And all these tracks, like I hadn't even heard as singles and thinking like man they like how did i sleep on like these these tracks how did the how did the world sleep on these tracks that were so much better than like what actually got released in singles but nah man nah <laughs> harsh way harsh no no i i actually uh, uh agree with scott like when that opening starts up and that doo -doo, I was like, all right, cool. It sounds like a, a trap beat or something. And then when it gets going. <laughs> yeah, in 1993, a trap beat. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, the, the Swedes, you know. Once it gets going, it's so like Euro pop. And you know how I feel about Euro pop. And ugh, just, it just, I don't know, man. I just, I just imagine a bunch of blonde headed Nordic Swedes dancing badly in some nightclub in the Sodermar district. Like, it's just. <laughs> It's just that's what it is. And then young and proud. It's like they didn't even think about uh, a title properly. So, yeah, I mean, the first two songs on this album, I felt, you know, were created for radio and for uh, pop and for a mainstream audience. And then young and proud was just like made for some Swedish club that, you know, that the blade vampires hang out at or something which I mean, that's cool. That's cool. Again, I, I feel like like I kind of alluded to I feel like it's literally just the difference in taste between the the US market at the time and the uh and the EU market like or even the EU then I guess the EU existed maybe I don't know but like my point is is that like they when they released when they released the sign to the to the states like they swapped up all the tracks like yeah. the singles are different everything like it's it's interesting to me now because like you really can't get away with that in the modern world yeah you have like i feel like japan still tries to get away with it where like you always have like the japanese release of some album which is which will end up being like a three disc special edition that has like interviews and like jazz renditions and stuff like that the japanese editions of any album are always like the go-to like that's where it's where you get the best stuff but you can't really really get away with that in like the world that we live in now with everything being so connected and like the tastes and trends and everything are so like globalized but at the time, in like the 90s, like, you know, what's happening in Europe is literally a world away. It's so funny you mentioned that special edition, because did you listen to the Bhangra version of All That She Wants, which is like, <laughs> I guess, Indian market version of All That She Wants? I say fucking good on them, by the way. I want Bollywood versions of all these songs. I want a Bollywood <laughs> version of Doggy Style. That is what I want. I, that is, oh, that would be perfection. I, it um, does not exist. I feel like that's something I can find on Bandcamp. <laughs> We're going to take a pause for a cause. We'll be back with more when albums collide. Hey there, my name's Fred Aylan, and this is The Chain Unlinked, a sister podcast to The Chain. When I first started The Chain last year, I thought about making a Patreon with exclusive content, other music nerdy things that wouldn't quite fit into an episode of The Chain. Interviews, crossovers with other music podcasts, and more. But I know that not everyone can afford to support all of the podcasts that they love on Patreon. 
So after some consideration, I decided to start a free second podcast feed instead. Thanks for listening and welcome to The Chain Unlinked. Welcome back to When Albums Collide, joined by Scott Robinson to talk about two albums that came out on exactly the same day in 1993, Ace of Bases' The Sign and Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, laid back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind, just one of the many, many lines that have almost transcended this album, become folkloric, it's Gin and Juice, the third track on Doggy Style. Personally... It's a great song, but I can't be the only person that appreciates that not only Snoop, but all his homeboys practice safe sex with a pocket full of rubbers. There's rubbers to share. What did you guys think of Gin and Juice? Gin and Juice is, it's, yeah, man, I I feel like I'm going to like overuse the word iconic uh, because this album is like just so, like every, every main, every single off this album and Gin and Juice was definitely a single. Like it, it was literally everywhere i was i remember i remember being in line in for at a in like the lunch line at my school canteen in like the fourth grade or something like this and getting into a conversation about like i think we got into an argument about the meanings of like some parts of this song you know like and it would have been like the radio edit so it's definitely we wouldn't have been arguing about like you know racing up off these nuts because you get none of these you'd be like what kind of juice was he drinking <laughs> oh, oh oh there's a whole story about tangray that well i'll like hold on till until we get to that <laughs> okay. we get to the appropriate track yeah i mean with, with gin and juice uh, uh, you said it, it's it's i mean it's transcended pop culture it's so massive and and it's interesting because this is like the what Scott was saying, like they were holding back Snoop on the album. And then this is the first time we get to hear Snoop. Like, you know, this is the first Snoop doggy dog track. Right. And it just solidifies what he had going at the time. He was just like this laid back type of style, this delivery. He was um, just a character. It has one of the catchiest hooks in hip hop. Um, just so um, indicative of what G funk, was was all about and all these things the music video was great it's just at the end of the day it's it's just him having a party it's just so relatable it's just the, the his parents are out of town and he's gonna throw a party his friends call his friend and i like the music video like he's calling all his friends and stuff and like it shows like the cuts and one guy is getting out of bed one guy's literally having sex with a girl and he just leaves the girl in bed because he has to hit up has to hit up this like snoop dog party um um it's it's fantastic i mean i think at the time it was nominated for best rap solo performance in um in 1995 um it's number eight on vh1's greatest hip-hop songs um and just so much that goes into it i think I'm, i'm pretty sure dre was inspired by this song this band called slave watching you yeah It's funny because then Snoop would use the same type of cadence in the song uh, "Let's Get Blown" when he did when he hooked up with um, 
the Neptunes, you know, let's get blown. He uses the same type of cadence. So I wonder if that was something that really inspired Snoop back in the day or as that was some music that he was um, uh, super into. It's a perfect track, man. It's just, a, it's an awesome song and um, it, it's, it's super dope. We were talking about inspirations before and maybe uh, Snoop was inspired by other songs. The next song, Lardy Dardy, is a tribute to Slick Rick. And by tribute, I mean it's pretty it's pretty similar. And his song, Lardy Dardy, uh, which starts off with the exact same verse and Snoop, you know, shouts him out. That song is one of the most sampled songs of all time. So much so, actually, that Mark Ronson did a TED Talk on the history of this song. Over the next 10 years, Lardy Dardy continues to be sampled by countless records ending on an ending up on massive hits like Here Comes the Hot Stepper and I Want to Sex You Up. Snoop Doggy Dog covers the song on his debut album Doggy Style and calls it Lodi Dodi. Um, copyright lawyers are having a field day at this point. But this song still holds up by itself, I think. I do want to say one thing about Lodi Dodi. Lodi Dodi, I feel... So the other thing, we're go- again, going back to like the talking about like, like skits and stuff. The other thing I loved about Doggy Style is how he brings like the stories and skits into it, which is also something that I feel like is like pretty classic in hip hop, like going all the way back to like the rapper's delight, right? Just telling like a whole story and bringing somebody along, but like with rhymes and with rap, mm. like, yeah, like, and Lottie Dottie is definitely one of those tracks. Like the main, for me, I feel like the big, the part of Lottie Dottie that always hits me the most is like, I think it's the second verse where Snoop Dogg starts uh, talking about like, um, like Sally and Sadie and like all the, the crew i'd have to like sing it to be able to remember the names but yeah like he 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 gives you this sort of like he, he takes you through this journey of like hood life you know and the inherent violence and how it like ties in with like uh with drugs and with sex and it's it's there's no, i don't i don't think that there's that's not true there are a couple like hooks in it that have become like i think pretty iconic in particular the it's so because like the sample in that right. um and, you know, of course, doggy, 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 can't you see somehow your words hypnotize me, which in itself is a reference. Yeah, that's like, the Slick Rick slick reference. Rick. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I feel like Snoop Dogg, I feel like Lottie Dottie's like, has, has almost eclipsed it in, in a way. Like, mm. uh, Slick Rick is definitely like well-loved and well and like respected part of history. But like, again, Snoop Dogg has has entered into his own meme verse. The, the song itself is straight up, again, kind of that story where he's like, look, I woke up. I put on some clothes, you know, I'm looking good. And, uh, and then the hood, hood life happened. You're, you're right, Scott. I think a lot more people probably know this song uh, will be a lot more familiar with this song than the Slick Rick version. And they might even listen to Slick Rick and be like, oh, why is he, this guy copying Snoop Dogg, you know? Um, <laughs> so it goes back to what we were saying uh, with the opening skit. This this album and, and when this track, it, it, it adds to this the i guess the life of this character snoop doggy dog like because this song is just him going through his morning you know his morning routine he gets up he brushes his teeth he goes out he talks to a couple of people and he runs into as he as as he would say bitches hoes i i mean he's a another way to say he's just accosted by two women who both want to sleep with him and it's just a day in the life and it's just like i don't i just don't know what to do it's kind of hard being snoop doggy dog at times so um they want his drugs they want his drugs actually hold up hold up hold up they want his drugs isn't that i feel like do we did we get two different messages from this 
Um, I, well, well, I remember he says, he goes, I'm too, um, with your old wrinkled pussy, I can't be your lover. That's why Completely. I always... I mean, is a girl, is, is a girl really coming over for the Netflix or is she coming over for the chill? <laughs> do, she, do we ever, will we ever really know? You know, I don't know. Is she actually coming over for the, for the weed or is she coming over for the, for the other stuff? It's hard I to tell I feel like sometimes. there's a far cry difference between, between Netflix and they weren't even like, I, I, like I'd have to like sing this to really remember it because it's like you know sort of like in the head. But if I remember correctly, it's his bag of rocks, yo. Like they're not talking about weed. <laughs> they're not talking about True. Netflix. <laughs> I think that like crack, frankly, and <laughs> and and like I, I got to speak for just like a moment. Like having grown up in that place, like Compton was uh, and like also uh, Long Beach. But the part of Long Beach he's talking about is like literally adjacent to Compton. In fact, there's like this whole ridiculousness about like what the name of those particular blocks and like which city and then like they didn't want to be associated to like Compton itself as Compton's like name became worse due to, for example, like gangster rap really raising its visibility. Um, there's like a whole sort of political ridiculousness there. But it was a rough place in the 90s like there was like the the sheriff's department got like shut down or, i'm sorry the local police department got like shut down at one point and taken over because it was corrupt it was basically another gang the the ravages of of drugs and everything else like really it tore that place apart you know like you know sort of i don't think this album really gets in oh it does kind of get into it at one point where there's like a kind of a drive-by but it's not like it's not like really blatant about it as you get into like later on and sort of like dre's career i mean i'd still say this album is really violent it's like but because we got to keep it in mind this is to, you know 1993 it's not 2013 where you know we're all right. desensitized to it so in 1993, I think it's quite violent, especially if we're comparing it to The Sign. <laughs> like, it is way more violent than the, the, you know, the number one album in the world at the time. Yeah, it is yeah, nothing definitely. like And we that, have to right? remember also 1993, I mean, this gangster rap was on the rise. At this album in particular, like, people were protesting on the street. I remember watching a documentary uh, with C. Dolores Tuckett, who was an uh, activist back in the day. C. Dolores Tucker. Yeah. Let's bring on. Music that glorifies and promotes violence with guns, knives, or drugs, and denigrates and defames women. And with the release of Snoop Doggy Dog's debut album, Doggy Style, (laughs) that includes artwork that is nothing but pornographic smut. When I saw this, I said, that's it. We march again. And we're going to keep on marching and demonstrating the truth. Yeah, I bet she's a lot of fun at parties. She held this protest where they would run over his uh, with doggy style, this album with a steamroller and uh, in protests of, you know, you can't be calling women bitches and hoes of violence and stuff like that. And then great like snoop dogg's rebuttal was like you're stupid because you had to buy those albums before i know every sale all right let's let's quickly cover the number one song of 1994 on billboard's year-end chart it was called the sign it was by ace of bass and it earned them a grammy nomination i saw the sign it's interesting to me that i you know to see to see the sign like so for me the takeaway of the song is like she realized she's in this like bad relationship and has seen like has seen the sign or seen the signs. It's time to get out. And it, it was kind of interesting to me because like, you know, I never I never really like clicked on to me that like 
you know, and maybe this is like the Swedish English thing, but like to see the signs in the relationship is definitely like a common phrase in the rest, but I would never say I saw the sign. Um, and it was like, really, once that hit me, I was like, wait a second, is that what the song has been about this whole time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, with this song, I think it's still, it's still a great pop song. Even today, I, I, I will say, I love that. I don't even know what to call it. I guess it's like an opening vocal riff that the girl does. She, where she goes like, Oh, like right in the beginning. <laughs> If you've never heard this and you heard the song and then you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, she's about to like really rip it, you know, like sing. But they don't really have like vocal range. You know what I mean? They're not like belting like Mariah Carey or an Adele or something like that. It's very just like, uh, I mean, it's very maybe closer to like someone like <laughs> Britney Spears, which makes a lot more sense because once you find out who produces these tracks, uh, what's his name? Dennis, Dennis Pop. He went on to like produce other tracks for like Britney Spears and uh, Backstreet Boys and all that 90s pop stuff. You can kind of see a, a, a line through between, you know, Ace of Base, this song, and then all that uh, bubblegum pop that was super popular in the late in the late 90s there. Well, didn't the sign launch his career? Like, I feel like wasn't Dennis Pops like born from Ace of Base? Yeah. Yeah. Funny? I mean, this was, this was a, I think he had a notable hit and so he, he was kind of in the industry, but uh, when they started repackaging this album, this is um, the album that really put him out there. I mean, straight banger, obviously peak nineties club music, et cetera, et cetera. And Scandinavians, you know, say what you want. They know what's up with, with music, right? They really do know what's up. Interestingly, it's like this album, as we were saying, but also Ace of Bases next album, they'd be joined by a young Swedish songwriter on production called Max Martin, and he'd pen their track Beautiful Life, and then he would go on to become arguably the most successful songwriter of all time, including help write and produce uh, California Girls with Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg. So little bit, a little bit of connection there, ace of bass to Snoop Dogg. There's your six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, yeah, it's a hell of a song. Did you have anything for the next one either, uh, Living in Danger? I thought Living in Danger, uh, just funny, it's actually, I have, this is a great song absolutely great song and uh, it really fits in um it's weird to me because the sign just going back to the sign for just one second is i feel like the sign is actually like a really positive like like the lyrics and content the rest mm -hmm. sure but the tone of it it's really poppy it's it doesn't have like the edginess or the danger that really i feel like all the other ace of bass tracks have almost all the other bass bass tracks ace of bass tracks have and it's like the contrast between the sign and uh, living in danger, where like living in danger isn't even like obviously like danger is in the the hooks and the name of the song, the chorus in it, which honestly I feel kind of actually in itself is like reminiscent of the sign, like the way she kind of like does her like I just seen the danger, like you know it's it's that same flavor, but it's 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 got that edge. It's what I enjoy about Ace of Base far more than like their main their main song i'm like what's this positive like what's this positive stuff if they had if they just stuck with being this like really synthy kind of darkness to them like them they're more positive stuff it errs into the side of like eurovision yeah. or it errs even to the side of like christian electro music <laughs> like i get like a real like uplifting kind of gospel sound from it we'll get to that as well i i wanted to get to murder yes. was the case which was a 1994 short film and soundtrack album starring snoop doggy dog 
and it was like an 18 minute film directed by Dr. Dre and um, Freddy from the Fab Five and it chronicles the fictional death of Snoop Dogg and his resurrection after making mm-hmm. a deal with the devil the story itself tells roughly the same story like the song is pretty much what's in the movie and Snoop makes a deal with the devil so he can um, you know see his sweetheart all that sort of stuff clearly like his his visions for who he wants to be as an artist is well above and beyond what's going on now you know he sees himself as more than just a rapper more than just a, a gangster rapper and he's trying to make something of artistic merit we know he's very entrepreneurial and i remember he was like filming all his concerts and executive producing and directing all his concert videos as well i think it's called smoke fest you can find it online mm. um so he has grandiose visions and this is just one little taste of what snoop dogg's about with murder was the case who did the voice do you guys know who did the voice of god in um in that album because or in that track because that tracks voice of god it shook me the very first time I heard it, and it shakes me every time I hear it. I actually don't even care about Snoop's part on that track because the voice of God is just so good and so powerful. Her voice broke to begin, it slowly started saying, Bring your lifestyle to me, I'll make it better. How long will I live? Eternal life better forever. How will I be the G that I want? I'll make your life better than you can imagine or even dream of. So relax yourself, let me take control. Close your eyes. I mean, looking at it, it just the uh, um, the credits. It just says uh, Brodus Jr., which is um, Snoop, Andre Young, and Delmar Arnoud, which is Daz. So it probably was Snoop or Daz Dillinger, and they probably just like alter the voice for for that segment of the song. But this is my favorite track off the album for sure. I listen. This is on my personal playlist. I listen to this all the time. I can. Um, sing along with all the lyrics and stuff and uh, I just find it to be so um, operatic so and it's interesting until this week I didn't realize it was actually a short film but even without the visuals you can paint a picture in your head as to what's going on you know just listening to this track and I think it's um, so indicative of gangster rap every time I listen to it I, I think about the conservative right at 1993 and like this would this song would be the one that they would point their finger to as what's going wrong in America because if you, the, the, the name of the track is murder was the case it talks about uh, a death but even that I find haunting is the girl singing murder you know murder was the case that they, murder you know what I mean it's just like subconsciously you're hearing murder in the background like if that fucks with you <laughs> on on some type of level and, and listeners out there if you have a chance you should check out um snoop's performance of this uh during the mtv movie awards of that year because that year he was um wanted for uh, uh a murder basically him and his bodyguard were sitting in a car some dude started running up on them to you know, attack him, and the bodyguard shot and killed this man. And there was a long court case, and Snoop was, um, he was on trial for, for murder, and he was going to go away for a long, long time, but he got off. In relation to that performance, he hadn't turned himself in. He went, did this performance at MTV, uh, the MTV Video Music Awards, comes out in a wheelchair, in a Shirley Temple hairstyle, which is so weird, but it's so gangster at the time, he does a performance, and at the end of the song, he goes, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Murder was the case that they gave me. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And then as he hops off stage, the cops arrest him and take him to prison. Like, I, I just think that's the most gangster, dopest shit in music history.
I'm so glad you mentioned that because otherwise I would have sold it, but I couldn't have sold it the way you did. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> it's it, like, that was, man, of course he did that. Of course he did that. But I feel like, uh, to, to, I want to speak to your point about uh, like the conservatives and like the ass, yes. like sort of like the, how this shocks, how this shocked not just like America, but the world in general. And obviously like a large part of what drove the popularity of, uh, of rap, you know, was, was the shock value. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like inner city black youths pushing these albums, yeah. right? It was like suburban white. Males. Yeah, of course. The infamous story of like how Billboard SoundScan uh, got turned on and it went from basically finding out like the record industry up to that point kind of was just guessing which albums were actually selling the most like yeah they knew you know push inventory like you know a few months later down the road and the rest but there was no there was no sort of like real-time knowledge of it it wasn't it wasn't like commonly understood like obviously different labels and different distributors and different companies knew what they were pushing but you know you kept that information private from everybody else Billboard sound scan went on, which is like all the stores, all like the major, major, like, uh, like record, like, so record stores and CD stores and stuff like that agreed to like, you know, computerize. I know it sounds like ridiculous these days because like literally everything is done through computers. Yeah. Right. But like at the time it was like, oh, this, this like revelation and, um, and like the, the number one, like the, you know, it was like the top 10 overnight went from being like their guests of basically all a bunch of like white walkers. I, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, yeah, some, some iconic eighties white walker. And then literally overnight, it was like easy ease album. And like, you know, a bunch of other, like basically all these like gangster rap albums were like, you know, just swept the top 10 and it was like a revelation to everybody. But yeah, it was like, it was a culture. It was definitely yeah. a culture war that was going down. And it's funny to me that like this song, this song was like super demonized. But the song, it's this classic example of like, yeah, the song gets demonized. But if you listen to the song, it is not glorified. It's like of all the tracks on this album to glorify like the, 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 the G, like the gangster lifestyle. This is not the track that I would go yeah, to yeah. to be like, man, I really want to like live Snoop Dogg's life. Like, I just want to like, you know, like I was saying like earlier, like th there's no real, there's not like really any drive-bys that occur in this where, whereas like drive-bys were like a real part of living in the inner city at that time. Like it was something where like you would hear them yeah ace of bass we get to my favorite track question mark dancer in a daydream i got oh. a big whiff of infernals from paris to berlin you know that song in every disco that i'm in from to paris to berlin. to berlin in every disco i get in my heart is pumping for Which is another like Scandinavian trash, Euro trash song, right? Yo, Dancer at Danger, I thought this was a straight banger. This was great 90s club music. Um, just something about the vocals, I really, they just appealed to me. What did you guys think? Did you hate it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, any time, any time that it's like, uh, I'm biased, man. Anytime, anytime, like this European dance music, I'm just not feeling it. Like, there's, I don't know. I just, especially this, especially when like it's nonsensical dancer in a daydream. So I'm like, what the dancer is in the daydream? Like, dancer is in the dream like state? Or are you having a daydream and the, there's a dancer in there in some kind of David Lynchian type of way? I, I, I mean, it was, I, I just wasn't feeling it. Like, in lyrics, come and be a dancer, dance into my daydream, join me in my daydream, wet and wild. 
all right like i was just like uh, bro uh, it's I their second language I, I, it's, it's about an, it's vibes listen if i go to another country myself pedro duran goes to another country i try to learn as much whatever foreign language i can to get around and to try to assimilate as best as possible if i don't do it i shut the fuck up i'm not trying to release albums in sweden <laughs> or in vietnamese and do it halfway okay it's it's difficult to go from like to like thinking about the lyrics of doggy style and then thinking about the lyrics of the sign like one is literature <laughs> yeah like and i'm not i don't want to this is not hate this is not hate goal is not to create their goal is not to create this like ambiance anything other than to like have something to go over you have to go over some 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 euro pop beats you know some what was it like euro reggae or whatever it's called um and to get you moving to get you dancing i definitely can't go from doggy style where like thinking about the lyrics there's like depth to them where and then going to this where it's like what does dancer in a daydream mean it doesn't have to mean anything like it, it just sounds cool it's out, it's out to make the kids dance you know look you're not gonna if you didn't like that you're not gonna like the next one wheel of fortune man <laughs> wheel oh man like you said, it's like weird techno Euro reggae, which I... Techno Euro reggae sounds like the worst, most vomit-inducing combination, and I fucking love it for some reason. It's laid back, it's chill. The vocal intro to this, I love. Am I the only one that thinks this album kind of slaps? I'm the only one? Man, fucking Wheel of Fortune. My love is my engine, and you might be fuel. Stop acting cool. <laughs> but listen, yeah, the album, there's there's good songs on the album that besides just the three singles. But Because I would agree, Will of Fortune, I actually do like Will of Fortune. The way it starts up, what you gonna do now? What, what you gonna tell your dad if, if, in this Will of Fortune? I was just like, what is going on? Like, what is what does someone's dad have to do with this? But I mean, I, I guess it's just um, about... A relationship with some dude and she's speaking to him and she says how are you going to explain this relationship to your father if it ended but i mean i don't understand why why would you have to explain specifically to your father that a relationship ended and things like that i i, I mean i don't know but anyway but there are funny the 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 language barrier does um lend itself to funny translations so for instance in this song it says like hey you we're gonna make your move it tastes like steel like a stab from a knife Okay, uh, I don't know what other stab things. I mean, like a stab from a knife. I, I, if I'm getting stabbed, I would assume I'm getting stabbed from a knife. Uh, maybe a screwdriver. I don't know, but it's just a, it's a, it's a funny translation there. And I just thought it was um, um, a, another example of that uh, cultural barrier or the language barrier there. Look, Real of Fortune is a banger. I love it. Like we were just, <laughs> what's you going to tell? I love that. It, I like. I love the edginess. I just love the edginess of of all of Ace of Base, uh, this song, uh, again, I wish that this song had been the single and not the sign. But we got, we got a lot, man, we're like halfway through this fucking Snoop Dogg album. Can we, can we go to the big track? Is, is this the best intro to a track of all time? It feels like you're standing on like railroad tracks and there's a fucking freight train coming towards you, right? Like there's a there's a train and it's just blaring down. That's what I get from the intro of this because it just hits so hard right off the top. Just the it feels like I'm about to be run over by a Mack truck of G Funk is what it feels like. Mate, it's important. I feel like it's critically important to focus on the fact that 
that, and I, I assume that this is Dre's influence. I assume yeah, this is Dre's influence. Because That's what I was thinking. Go ahead. So, so well, so not just I'm, I'm the music, yes, but I want to talk about the fact I used to call them anthem songs. I'm sure there's like yes. an industry term for it, but like a song in which the rapper, the hook, lyrics, everything is about being like, do you know my motherfucking yes, name? Yes, dude, I, you, I, you're going to like take the words dude, right out of my duh, mouth. Right okay. And it's like the anthem songs, like I like Dre, every, I can't like every single one of his, every single one of his artists had anthem songs. And yes. I like, I can't really, I can't really read on like anthem songs pre-Dre. Like I just don't know any. But post-Dre, like, ev- like any artist that matters will have a song early on, like some fucking banging single that will just be like, this is my name. This is my name. What's up? Eminem, classic example. Yes. Like, <laughs> several, right? I, you know, I'm into anthem songs. I, you know, they, because they're usually where the artist is literally, the artist and producer, everybody are putting their absolute best foot forward. And this song is, I guess it is like the quintessential anthem song. It's amazing. Scott, you, you've, you hit the nail right on the head. I, I, because there's something, I think this is Dre's influence because he's just like, listen, he, we, as you know, I mean, he sold, what is it, Beats by Dre. He's a master of marketing and branding. So I imagine he went into the studio with Snoop and he was like, we need to have the theme song, the Snoop Dogg theme song. And that's just what it is. And even if you don't understand the lyrics as far as like the bars and the, the verses, you understand like Snoop Dogg, eh, Dog. It's just like, it sounds like a theme song for a show or something or, or, or a movie, the Snoop Dogg show or something again and again. And then even, you know, flash forward to 1999 with Eminem, as you mentioned, like, hi, my name is Chicka Chicka Slim Shady. Like, if you don't know anything, if you don't take away that was Eminem, you know, it's Slim Shady. You know what I mean? Because it's just repetitive. Even Snoop, uh, Dre does himself and with Fuck With Dre Day or a song, Still Dre in 2000, uh, 2000, uh, yeah, in 2001, the name of the album. But, you know, he's like, he repeat, he has you repeating his name. So it's over and over again. And he's like, he's, he knows what he's doing with that. And he, back streets, back. All right. Yeah. Like he definitely knows what he's doing with that, and I mean the the track itself, the the it's funky, it, the beat is infectious. Like it's 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 a hip hop classic in, in my book. And followed quickly by a track that I most fondly remember from this album, "Ain't No Fun," with Nate Dogg singing a silky smooth verse. You know, because you gave me all your pussy and you even licked my balls. Instant classic, personally, in terms of like fucking songs it's it's a great song it's and it's very like you can tell they're 19 year old guys because it's a thing it's a song about like hey if you have sex with me you gotta have sex with my 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 boy too ha 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 it's very like you know fratty in a way um but i love corrupt's verse the way he opens it too he goes with corrupt give a fuck about a bitch i always be broke i'll never have no motherfucking indo to smoke i just like that i just like the way he just comes on like so uh, aggressively i am completely with you that this song so look short story I was once in a club uh, a long time ago. I was maybe like in my like, maybe like 25, 26. I'm in this club. This is in Seattle. And uh, this is before I'd like ever gone overseas or anything. And um, and it's like this hip hop club. And Seattle at the time was like real vanilla, real vanilla place. So like having a hip hop club that was even like decent was a pretty rare, pretty rare feat. And it's like 1 a.m. I'm drunk. I'm dancing on the floor and this like smoking hot blonde girl comes up to me and we get to talking and it turns out she's Aussie uh, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I live in Australia now. But anyway, we're like chatting 
and starting to dance and grind up on each other. And this song comes on. And like, again, like I said, Doggy Style is, you know, it's, it's my heart. And I know every word of this song. And, I'm, and this song comes on and, you know, like good college educated liberal Scott Robinson in his head, he's like, I can't like be singing this song. And like, this song is all about disrespecting women. And, you know, like, and I mean, okay, I guess one thing I'm like grinding up on this girl, but she's about it. But like, I can't be like singing every word of this song. It's going to come off real, real weird. And then I look down and she has like, turned around she's like bent over rubbing her ass up into my crotch and just going to town singing this song like just belting it out as she's like going up against me riding up against me and I kind of get taken out of the moment and I like just look I my eyes pan across like the, the darkness and the flashing lights in this club I all I saw all I could really see just a club full of women just belting this out belting out the hook it ain't no fun if the homies can't have none and they are just like just all about it and it, you know it, it it's a moment that's like stuck with me um <laughs> but man the lyrics to this song the lyrics to this song are so fucking visceral like you know if corrupt gave a fuck about a bitch i love that i i that's also my favorite line that's also my favorite line but i do love like nate dogs like you know Nate Dogg's whole like he basically is kind of like he starts he, he gets singing at one point but I just love how he's like when I met you last night I respected you before you opened up your gap you know like yeah. <laughs> just like just this thing is so fucking visceral and and I think it's legit like you talk about how it's like fronting in the rest but I genuinely think that this song is legit like I've come around like far enough where I I, I reckon I reckon they're just singing, singing from their life, you know? All right. Uh, the last couple tracks that I, I listed on, on the sign, Happy Nation, the original title for the Ace of Bass album is the next track. Something I was not into. This is the first, this is a song I was really not into. It's like um, choral gospel music sung in Latin to begin the track. <laughs> It sounds a bit baroque, to be honest. We had a similar track when we reviewed Enya. Yes. I don't know if you remember yes, Pedro episode five, that. and I think you referred to it as video game boss music. I mean, yeah. if you're at a party <laughs> and you put on the sign, the album, and Ace of Base, and everyone's rolling and have a really great time, and then Happy Nation comes on, you're gonna jumpstart a lot of hangovers and a lot of come downs immediately as this song kills the vibe almost instantaneously. <laughs> But you know what, speaking about with this song, I think it's probably not as bad or uh, of a bummer as um, Yulf Ekber's previous music. Have you guys seen this? Like he apparently he started a neo-Nazi band called Commit Suicide. Are you you serious? Like this is legit. Have you seen this? Yes. I love this so much. Yes. The dude in Ace of Base made a neo-Nazi band. Yes, bro. He was in a neo-Nazi band called Commit Suicide before he was in Ace of Base. He actually um, has ties to a political party in Sweden that leans uncomfortably toward hate the hate group <laughs> side of the spectrum. Um, wait, and, and wait, is he uh, still is still a part of that? I thought he like I thought he like left all that shit behind him. Well, is now he, is he back to being a Nazi. The success of Ace of Base because they all came out afterward. Because obviously, right. you know, you're in the limelight. It all came out, and he was just like, no, 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 I'm not in it. And I'm not really into that stuff, and, and all these things. But I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy as to. Um, I mean, there's pictures. If anyone wants to, listeners, Google them. There's pictures of him on 
of him online putting up the like the high Hitler so, uh, sign. I mean, it's pretty. It's 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 out there, man. Like, That's so it's amazing crazy. to contrast that. It's amazing yeah. to contrast that, given like the whole line of like how this song is quote anti-fascist and a hymn to life. <laughs> yes. Like, <what> <laughs> So if 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 it pleases the court, I would like to uh, recite some of the lyrics from his. Please, H- please, please do. All right, I'm not gonna hold back because this guy is, you know what I mean. Like, so the translation goes and quote: "Men in white hoods march down the road. We enjoy ourselves when we're sawing off niggers' heads. Immigrants, we hate you. We hate you. Out, out, out. Nordic people, wake up now. Shoot, shoot, shoot." End quote. So this is the guy that's uh, in Ace of Base. That that clearly did not have that did not have the Swedish translation issues. This is the same dude that wrote "It's a Beautiful Life," all that she wants. Yeah, I because I, I came across that, and then I listened to this song, and I was like, "Huh, kind of makes sense what, what the vibe that they're going for." Maybe they were in the studio, and um, 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 Mr. Um, Eckberg was just like, hey, guys, we need to put this music in this album. It's very good. Ulf got laid somewhere between the age of like 16 and 26 and realized, wait a second, like this this African booty is worth it. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here's what I don't get. How do you go from that to a song like Voulez-vous Dancer, which talking about video game music sounds like a fucking ape escape on the PlayStation 1 soundtrack. It sounds like yeah. what Soichi Torado was doing, just beeps and boops. It sounds great, by the way, man. This music I is killer. I love this track. Man, Voulez-vous Dancer? Oh, so good. At this point in the album, I just thought, okay, here's some more Euro trash music. <laughs> that, I, mean, I, I assume that Greta Gumberg is dancing to in the in the suburbs of fucking Stockholm. I believe it's pronounced Thunberg. Didn't it? even no, like the, didn't even like the part where they busted in like some additional like egregious French. Oh no, I was I was totally uh, no no. At this point in the album, I'm just kind of like. Oh, this is too much for me. Like, so I, I, I prefer way, I prefer uh, their, their pop stuff way, way more. Like, I understand why this stuff is on it, but I, I could have done with a little more um, pop radio songs. Oh, uh, let's take it quickly to the breakdown. Now, as I mentioned, both these albums came out same day, and both of them incredibly successful, sold well over 11 million copies in in Snoop Dogg's case, and over 21 million copies for Ace of Base, which puts them in very rarefied air. So I'm going to throw the question to to both of you. Why were these albums so successful in their own ways? This album was clearly successful for two reasons. One, like I said earlier, this is literature. This thing paints, paints an image, it takes you on a journey, it gave white america this view into a world that yeah obviously it, it didn't really exist right you know again i said it was like literature but it gave them access and a view into this world that was just vastly drastically different than than the vanilla suburbs that that they lived in uh so it was it's just it's, it's beautiful it's a beautiful album and second off just the artists like like just the artistry on it you know dre Obviously, it's easy for us in hindsight to be like, yeah, this album's really great. Dre's fantastic because Dre is, you know, defined multiple decades. Uh, Snoop Dogg, similarly, it's really easy in hindsight to be like, damn, Snoop Dogg was amazing on this. But while while people were hungry for what they were doing there, they, they weren't like bankable. They were on death row. Like death yeah. row was like a, a like a label that was put together by 
literally a a hustler like who was who like was threatening them physically and now <laughs> right? a convicted like, murderer <laughs> and now a convicted murderer right like they were not bankable it's not like the the sony's and the and the you know the, the bmis and the rest were like pounding down the door trying to get these guys like on into international presence you know it was a battle uphill and uh and you know that classic david goliath's kind of story dogger style is fantastic Ace of Base, uh, look, man, like Europop was big. Uh, and, you know, like the, the reggae influence, the flavor of Europop and like that energy and the way that it sounded, like it came back. It was, you know, from my perspective, it was like the second coming of disco. And like this stuff was danceable. It was, you know, it, it was danceable in a way that like, you know, guitars and drums weren't, right? And honestly, danceable in a way that like, you know, Doggy style is not you know, like I have danced to doggy style. I kind of you want to call like being in the club dancing. Just drop a tab, get sweaty, go all night. This is this is the music for it. Ace of Bass, the sign. It's a great song. And the other tracks on this, like you would have bought this album and been like, yeah, this was totally worth it. Man, Tech Noir should make a second album. <laughs> Scott, can you name one song off each album that you think sums up the album that if no one had heard any of these albums, which songs off each album should they listen to? Easy, easy, the easiest question. So first off, if you're going to listen to any track, any track off of uh, off Ace of Bases, The Sign, the answer is don't listen to The Sign. And if you're going to listen to any track off of Ace of Bases, Happy Nation, don't listen to Happy Nation. The correct <laughs> answer is the correct answer is All That She Wants. Oh. And if you're if you're going to listen to any particular version of All That She Wants, it should be the Bangra version. Uh, <laughs> like All That She Wants. I feel like All That She Wants. It isn't like the 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 saccharine happy thing you get from like the sign. I really love Living in Danger and Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune's really really strong second place. But All That She Wants has like the edge to it. It uh, it it's clearly bankable. Like it's 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 popular. It's fun. You're gonna love it. Uh, all that she wants is where it's at. Pedro, you sighed like, like, like yeah, because you took right my my you. choice, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, it's all good. And then, what a, what about for doggy style, Scott? Oh, doggy style is the problem with doggy style is either either the song is like could the song itself could just transcend the album. There's so many good songs off of it, or it's a skit, or it's like it's not exactly there's no filler on doggy style, right? But it's it's something that's a part of like the sort of like arc that uh, that's being told in Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and everybody else. But, but and this is this is kind of a weird answer, but my my true and deep answer, despite the fact that like I love Murder Is the Case and I feel like the voice of God, iconic, you know, Murder Is the Case, like a good vibe and everything like that. I feel like the song that really defines Doggy Style and Snoop Dogg is genuinely the G Funk intro, <laughs> like. It, from the get-go, Good the call. energy that goes into the from the energy that goes into it, the fact that Snoop is like held back and it's edged on it, and when he finally comes in, you're just like, oh my god, Snoop is amazing. The Lady of Rage, like her opening, her opening verse is so powerful. I am probably going to just be wrapping it in my head for the next like two or three days let alone every other like verse on this album but g-funk intro like the moment you listen to it the moment it comes in it just pops in and takes you like you're whipped off of your feet and that is what every single track on this does it takes you on this journey to a whole nother world uh pedro same questions well as far as um snoop doggy dogs doggy style i think it is 
the idea he was a new guy people have heard him on deep cover and they were waiting for his album to come out so there was just that expectation that um um that anticipation excuse me of this new artist and he, he sound especially in hip-hop he didn't sound like anyone else so that ex- excited people but the music is great it's dr dre um and snoop dogg is a character that even even nowadays even though he's not making music like this we still as a society or a population or whatever love to see snoop dogg and what he's up to whether it's just him smoking weed on youtube <laughs> you know what i mean he's just a character that transcends all that stuff um so i think all those things um added to success oh and also the controversy and then as far as acid bass and it can and it relates to um doggy style like you have rap that was kind of hardcore rock at the time was leaning to the grunge that was pretty rough and rugged so ace of bass you know fits that popular sound that danceable music that was super popular in the in the early 90s you think about like hadaway or or other groups like that um and they had three singles that were massive hits so i think um all these things were um contributing to their success now if i have to choose one song off um doggy style my favorite song is murder was the case but i don't feel it's indicative of the album so i'm gonna choose um ain't no fun if the homies can't have none um because i think that 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 song is it's fun (laughs) um it's a it's a party track has nate dog warren g corrupt um and it's just um it's just um a nice treat to for people to listen to and then in regards to Ace of Bass, uh, I'm going to choose a song that I've never heard before this week, but it is stuck in my head. And I'm going to say uh, Wheel of Fortune. I actually like that song. Um, it does follow that kind of European pop trash that I don't really care for, but it's so catchy that it was able to uh, <laughs> supersede my prejudices for that type of music so yeah some trash is so good that it becomes treasure (laughs) exactly all the reasons you guys stated so beautifully so i'll just choose songs i love dancer in a daydream pedro i will get you to love it one day i love that track man it's just something about it that uh really hits me right between between the eyes and then i know this is so obvious but i'm gonna say it just because it's so good is uh the the branding track of snoop dogg who am i what's my name that's i'd say his greatest song that he's ever written i'd say of all the snoop dogg songs i'd say that's the best so why not listen to it why not listen to it right off the top um it's always great to revisit it thank you so much to our guest mr scott robinson yes thank you scott of course thank you for having me of course um and we will cover more we'll have you back on uh hopefully soon we'll see you next week pedro anything to say to our, our folks listening at home no, everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and uh, recommend us to your friends and family. <laughs> All right, see you next week. Bye. <laughs>